Well, happy Easter, everybody. Now, let's see how many church folks I got out there. He is risen. All right. Um, I was thinking a couple weeks ago that we are actually one-third through 2011, which just sounds crazy to me that, that we are... I still want to call this the new year. You know, like we're just getting into 2011, it's a new year, but it's really not. It's one-third of the way done. And the crazy thing is, which I, I guess that's just how time works, it kind of seems, well, it doesn't kind of seem, it really seems like this winter has lasted forever. Like seriously, I don't think that I've ever, I don't remember a time when winter has seemed to last so long nor so many people have done so much complaining, and I'm at the front of the line, uh, about this weather. Yet at the same time, this year has flown by. So somehow winter's lasted forever, but the year's gone fast. And as we look at the first third of 2011, if I had to give this year a one-word title, or come up with a word that defines the year so far... I would have to say that that word is uncertainty. It just seems like there is a lot of uncertainty surrounding us so far in 2011. I'll have some images here that, that have to do with 2011. And if we were to start on a little more of the, of the shallow end, uh, not insignificant, just a little more shallow. Look up there at the top to our left. It's trestle. Like the one thing we all had that we could count on, trestle. And, you know, got himself in some trouble. And, and the thing is, I mean, I am, I'm still Jim Trestle fan. And no matter the size of the mistake he made, we make mistakes. We apologize. We ask for forgiveness. We grant forgiveness. It's just Buckeye football was the one thing. And now, there's some uncertainty surrounding Buckeye football, and I'm actually afraid it's going to be a little bit worse than what we might imagine. Down below that, we see an NFL lockout. Now, I love the Browns. I know many of you love the Browns. Many of you love the NFL. And we don't know whether we're going to have a season. Now, some of you could care less about that. Okay, but that really, for me... Oh, I cannot imagine a fall or early winter without football to watch. Uncertainty. The NBA might follow suit. We could go for the whole fall and winter without any professional sports. Again, some of you could care less. Some of you might be excited at the thought. But for some of us, this is serious, like uncertain times. But if we move on, we get to the less shallow and we see a Middle East that is like volatile again. And one month from today, I will be on a plane from JFK Airport headed to Tel Aviv for a 16-day pilgrimage to Israel. So I'm watching my once-in-a-lifetime free-ride trip, and all of a sudden the Middle East seems to be falling apart. <laughs> And there's a great deal of uncertainty, which has led to some pain at the gas pump as well. 
And I know a lot of you are nervous about that. It's just that whole uncertainty of 2011. We, you know, Libya, Egypt, Yemen, um, Gaza. These are, these are nations that are crumbling in a very volatile part. Then we see the 9.0 and, and several aftershocks following in Japan. And we hear things about nuclear reactors and people in California taking radiation pills and things like that. So there's just, you know, after a miserable winter. It seems like these four months have been filled with uncertainty. And I know that some of you have some things in your life apart from just the global stuff that have added to that feeling of uncertainty. We're trying to become a praying church, really working hard toward that, which means that a lot more prayer requests and very real prayer requests are coming our way. And you start to just see the struggles of life that many of you are facing. And I mean, there are some of you worried about what's next in terms of jobs. Some of you worried about marriage stuff. Some of you uncertain about the decisions that your children are making. We live through seasons of uncertainty. And what I want to talk through today in Scripture is that while it may seem in times of uncertainty like God is far from us, maybe we look at these uncertain times when God just doesn't seem to show up and think that something's out of whack. I must be wrong. Or maybe something's wrong with God. Or maybe something's wrong with the Bible. Where is this loving God that's supposed to care about me? But what we see in the message of Scripture, especially in the story of the resurrection, and it's one of the things that I have come to truly appreciate about the story of the resurrection, is that we find a God, a risen Savior, who embraces uncertainty. We should not be surprised when we feel uncertain times and wonder where God is. That's just what he does. He lives in uncertainty. Uncertainty is a kind of playground for God. It's where he does his best work. But what we're going to see is even though he will allow uncertainty in your life, he's eventually going to show up. And it's going to be past when you think it's time. And when he does show up, you will never be the same. And you will look back and realize he was there all along. You just didn't know it. I think that's what we're going to find today. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I'm going to start in John chapter 20. And we're going to read through two accounts today. The first one, John chapter 20. This is the morning of the resurrection. So Jesus was crucified on Friday. He had been in the tomb Saturday. This is Sunday morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. And the other disciple is the one who wrote this book. His name was John. He refers to himself sort of in in third person like that calls himself the one who Jesus loved. He was best friends with Jesus. So we have Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John. And Mary Magdalene rushes in and she says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know 
where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started off for the tomb. Now at this point, do they believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? No. There's just an empty tomb and they don't know where the body is. And this is where I think the story gets good. Because there is chaos right now. These disciples don't know what happened to the body of Jesus. Things just went from bad to worse. Jesus is already alive, yet he has not yet appeared to him. Now, what we would typically see happening in our ideas, at least for me, Jesus is alive and God lets everybody know. No more need to worry. It's like he pops up and bam, appears to his disciples who are a wreck. I'm here. It's all good. You were right to follow me. And it's going to get great from here on out. But that's not what happens. He allows this moment of chaos. Let me talk about these characters and see if you can't relate to maybe their story. If you've ever had times of uncertainty. Anybody here ever had times of uncertainty in life? Just curious. Maybe I'm the only one. Mary Magdalene, what we know from Scripture is that at one point, her life was such that she was possessed by multiple demons. Now, I don't know a lot about the occult, but I'm guessing when you live a lifestyle that leads you into multi-demonic possession you're probably doing some things to put yourself in some environments that are far from God. Now, church history, apart from the Bible, tells us that Mary Magdalene had a reputation of a very colorfully sinful woman. And it doesn't take a whole lot of speculation to say that when Jesus healed her and received her as one of his followers... He was probably all she had going in life. Like she could easily sit around and wonder why she was so unlovable. Have you ever wondered, why don't people like me? Or thought that people don't like you? And maybe there's that one relationship that you feel good about. And maybe you've lost that relationship. And that's where Mary Magdalene is now because the one thing she had going for her is gone and the guy that she followed as the Messiah is dead. Then you got Peter who left it all. He abandoned his career as a fisherman to follow Jesus, turned his back on the mainstream Judaism that his family had followed, all the religious leaders were following, and was really out on a limb to follow the one that he thought was the Messiah, and now the Messiah is dead. So he's minus a career. He's got a family and no career. Any of you ever felt uncertain about your future employment? I'm sure that's where Peter was this morning. But we also learned that Peter turned his back on Jesus before Jesus was um, convicted and crucified. And he actually called down curses. He cursed the idea that he knew Jesus to distance himself. Then Jesus looks over and makes direct eye contact with him so he knows he got caught. Imagine being caught by the Son of God, cursing the idea that you know him. If you've ever wondered, like maybe you've done something that might be unforgivable, 
I mean, that's, that, that's where Peter was. It says he went outside the gates and bawled like a baby all night. <coughs> and here he is this, this, this morning, not knowing that Jesus was alive, believing he was like an epic fail, abandoned mainstream Judaism, left his job, all for a lost cause. But Jesus is fine with him in this state of uncertainty. He doesn't rush in to save the day. Pick up the story in, in verse 4. Uh, both were running. So John and Peter both take off toward the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Just so happens that the author of the book tells you that he outran. Is that not like a dude thing? That's what I love about Scripture. It's just so real. <coughs> Thousands of years to come, everyone knows that John's faster than Peter. Okay, John bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. So John's like, yeah, I got there. I had time to look in, assess the situation. 20 minutes later, Peter shows up. <laughs> Saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth. Um, finally, down in verse 8, the other disciple uh, reached the tomb, went inside, um, and it says that John says that, that John saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So he's letting you know that it's been chaos that morning because they did not understand that Jesus would rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary, who made her way to the tomb now, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she, she, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. Now, she doesn't know that they're angels. They're just two men at white, in white at this point. Uh, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. So she still doesn't know what's going on. She's lost the only thing good in her life, She's in this horrible state of uncertainty, feeling miles away from God. You ever been there? And Jesus seems to be okay with letting her in this state for a little bit. 14. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Jesus, and I hate to use this word, Jesus puts on a little bit of theatrics here. He almost starts playing her a little bit. He's engaging in a conversation with her, knowing she's distraught, but holding back his identity, not letting her know that he's standing right next to her. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means rabbi or teacher. 
And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See the way he's reinstating the disciples there? He's still your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Now what I love about this story, Jesus is setting a tone here for you and I. And that is simple. In times of uncertainty, where God seems like he is miles away, he could be standing right next to us and we not even know it. Because in the case of Mary, she was distraught. And Jesus even began talking with her before she knew it was him. But when the time was right, well past when Mary would have preferred it, I'm sure, Jesus made himself known to her, and her life was never the same. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Luke 24. Different story, same concept. <laughs> Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now the same day, okay, so this is the same day of the resurrection, two of them were going into a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So two of the disciples, not the twelve disciples, but two of Jesus' followers, he had about a hundred or so followers, that stayed true until he was crucified. Uh, they're on this road to Emmaus. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So at this point, it's Sunday morning. These people had left everything to follow Jesus. As far as they know, he's still dead. But rather than, ta-da, he walks with them and keeps them by the power of God from recognizing him. This is such a great story. And if you've ever had a time of uncertainty in your life, learn from this. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So Jesus begins to converse with these people. They stood still, their faces downcast. Do they believe that Jesus is alive? No. One of them named Cleopas, which if any of you have a son on the way, Cleopas is an excellent name for a boy. He would be very thankful. Just don't tell him I suggested it. Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. See, that Jesus is playing them. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet. That's important. He's a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and other rulers in our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. There's significance in the fact that they called him a prophet because it means they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They did three days ago. But when he was crucified, because it said we had hoped he was the hope of Israel, the Messiah, but he was crucified. So now they got him back to prophet status. Jesus is walking with them. It doesn't da 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 da. 
It's me. I'm here. He doesn't jump right in and correct them. They feel a mile away from God. They are uncertain as to the identity of Jesus, as to whether or not he was who he said he was. Jesus has no need to rush in. What's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he is alive. Then some of the companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So they have heard that some of the disciples said he's alive, but they still don't believe it. And Jesus is still okay with that. He's allowing for the uncertainty. So the next time you feel uncertain, the next time you feel like you're walking millions of miles away from God, he could be right next to you and you don't even know it. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, he's still talking about himself in third person because they don't know it's him, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets in the Old Testament, he explained to them uh, what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they were going to the village to, uh, to which they were going, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. Love that. But they urged him strongly, no, 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 stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table, do you see how comfortable Jesus is with them living in uncertainty? When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. (coughs) And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? (coughs) It's as though... Once they realized that he was there all along, they could look back and say, were not our hearts burning? How didn't we see this? He was with us every step of the way. We just didn't know it. The message of Easter, first of all, Jesus is alive. Secondly, in times of uncertainty, when it feels like Jesus is miles away from you, when it's well past the moment when you feel like he should be jumping in and showing you where he is, he will eventually show you when you seek him. And you will never be the same, and you will probably be able to look back and say, I see it now. He was with me every step of the way. I just didn't realize it. The message of Easter When times are uncertain, even when God feels miles away from you, Jesus is alive and his glory is near.